Welcome to the Powercast with Charlie Johnson. I'm one of the world's leading fitness and transformation coaches. I'm going to be providing you with the tools to build your ultimate body and mind. So, absolute pleasure today to have probably the most intelligent person I think I've spoken to in regards to nutrition, health, and supplementation. A great friend and a mentor to me is uh, Dr. Dean on the podcast today. So, thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much, Charlie. I know it's been a while trying to organise this. Yeah, we're both so fans. Glad that we've been able, we've been able to fit time in now to get this, get this done, and give the people what they want. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I'm getting pestered about this one non-stop. So, uh, give the people what they want. Um, so we've been rabbiting like uh, two old women for about 15 minutes before starting this. So we thought we'd actually start the podcast. So, uh, I think obviously I've sent you over a list of subjects we were going to discuss, and I think you thought it was quite interesting as well. A lot of people. <laughs> I have these questions about you because obviously your background is very, very interesting. So um, if we delve initially into like where you started and originally you came from a kickboxing background, something we were just discussing, uh, which is yeah. about you. I mean, a lot of people don't realise that's exactly where I started was, well, I'd, I'd been involved in martial arts as a, a child and then sort of grew out of it and pursued like, you know, football, Gaelic football, hurling. And then we entered my brother into a kickboxing class when he was 10. And after a while, I was sort of like, that seems really fun. You sort of get the drive again to go back to martial arts because I'd been on the Irish karate team as a, a child. So I started kickboxing again and, you know, slowly worked up through the, the ranks of kickboxing. But unfortunately, one evening at training, I we were practicing uh, spinning kicks. And as I landed, my right foot went out in front of me. and. Uh, just felt this funny electrical feeling in, in the joint of my ankle. I got up and I was sort of like, that didn't feel too good. But anyway, got on with it. Went through like two or three months of physio and then it wasn't getting any better. So they sent me for a, an MRI. The MRI didn't show anything. And I said to the orthopedic surgeon, no, just go in and like even do a scope, do something to, I said to him, there's something not right there. So anyway, he went in, he'd done the orthoscopic surgery and he, he found I'd smashed all the bone in my ankle. <laughs> so like for like three months, I was walking around in this ankle thinking everything was fine. So from there, there was a, quite an intense rehab and the surgeon kept saying to me, like, you know, you're never going to go back to kickboxing and you're never going to be able to play football. You know, you may want to look at maybe swimming as a hobby. I was like sitting there devastated going, you can't be saying it. Yeah, you can't be you can't be saying this to me because at that period, kickboxing and gym training, all that was my life. So I sort of, in a, in a way, had a point to prove. And I guess uh, as we get further into the podcast, people will see I'm not the type of person that you want to challenge because I put my mind to. Do you think it's wrong that necessarily medical professionals will tell you something like that? You shouldn't. You can't do something because I hear that all the time. That people say that. They were told not to do it, and then they went and done it anyway, and they'd be fine. I know it's obviously their have guidelines. I guess, yeah, I mean, they're they're probably obviously coming from a a responsible uh, standpoint in that, you know, to prevent you from further hurting yourself. But, like, if you can imagine the psychological impact that that could have is, is confounding. So, I mean, even in my case, like, they're... I literally went back to the physiotherapist after the surgery on my ankle and I had to learn how to walk again from walking to jogging to being able to sprint on it and then from sprinting to being able to kick a punching bag. Like I remember the first time the physiotherapist said to me, right, 
I've been able to sprint on the treadmill, say, for, you know, five to ten, ten-second bouts of sprinting, just to test the impact on my ankle. And then he said to me, right, kick that punching bag. And I remember looking at it going, I can't do that, because I've obviously, psychologically, I'd associated hitting that object with pain in my ankle from the previous months before that. And he said, no, hit the bag. And then I gave it a kick, and he goes, go on, kick it harder. After that, I thought, Jesus from being told that, you know, you're never going to kickbox to me smacking this punch bag with full force kicks. Um, so, I mean, that, that got me back into kickbox and then after that, that surgery. And then from there, I sort of, I was doing my PhD, so a lot of people probably don't realise um, at that point when I was kickboxing, I was doing my undergraduate degree in chemistry and pharmaceutical chemistry. That was all about, you know, Obviously, chemistry is a standalone subject, and then pharmaceutical chemistry was pharmacology, drug design, all those aspects of um, the pharma industry, basically. Is, is that something you'd always aspired to do when you were younger and had an interest in? No, uh, again, this is, again, how, I guess, how complex <laughs> not my life has been, but growing up, I always wanted to be a medical doctor. Always. It was always, like, that's why I always laugh now that I am Dr. Dean. Because I used to be joking to my mom, you know, I used to say, I used to say to her like when I was six or seven, oh, Dr. Dean. <laughs> and, um, when, I, when I got to my final year of secondary school, when it came time to actually choose to pursue what, what I was going to do in university, probably people have seen on Instagram, like I was a really avid musician as well. I sort of like, I got alienated by the medical community and I seen how much of your life you have to devote to it to be a successful doctor, you know, 80 or 90 hour weeks. And then obviously your family has to, you know, take the brunt of that workload. So I don't know, a switch flipped in my head and I, I turned to my parents and said, I don't want to do medicine anymore. And I said, at that point, I was sort of like a little lost. And then I said to my mother, I want to go do music in university. And she said to me, you are in your, she said, that's a waste of your, <laughs> your brains, basically. I was like going to her, no, I want to do music. That's, I'm not doing medicine at all. She goes, but what are you going to do for a career? Which again is like very Irish mammy, like typical of, you know, you're going to end up on the street, homeless as a musician. <laughs> Busking, yeah. Because I mean, at that point, you know, I, I, I'd been playing in a couple of bands and I just taught music. I had such a passion for it that why not do music? And then she said to me, right, let's make a deal. She said, if you go and do another degree and say maybe a science subject when you get that degree you'll have a backup plan that when you're finished you can go and do music afterwards I was like sitting there and probably at 17 I thought 24 years by the time I finish the degree I'll be 21 I can still do music <laughs> <laughs> so so I, like uh, another subject aside from music that I was very good at was chemistry and then there was a the course that I chose to do, the chemistry and pharmaceutical chemistry, it was a brand new degree subject in a university, Manute University, which was literally 10 minutes from my parents' house. I thought, very close to home. The subjects that I'm very good at, why don't they go and do this degree? And then I'd be ticking that box off for my parents. So it turns out then as I went into the course, I ended up coming top of the class every year in the university which then led me into my final year of, of the de degree course. And I'm sort of left again at this crossroads where during my undergraduate, I'd been playing in a band called Distillery Lane and we were getting very popular in Dublin. And I'm sort of thinking like, where do I go from here? Do I 
continue down the route of music where I originally set out to go in? Or do I go and do another degree in something science related or go back to medicine? Or then I see the possibility for a research PhD. So with, with the all the options in play, I chose to go the route of the research PhD. And I applied for the top level research scholarship in Ireland um, by the Irish Research Council. So again, this plays into my whole mindset of if you tell me I can't do something, um, I'm going to prove you wrong because the Irish Research Council um, scholarship is only awarded to about 30 people every year. And that's all science disciplines. So it even includes psychology, medicine, um, biology, computer science. So based on the fact that I came top of the university every year up until that final year, I thought, I'm in a good chance to get this scholarship. Part of the application was a personal um, statement from two references within the university. So I went with like my supervisor, Dr. John Stevens, for my PhD. He gave me one reference and then I chose another professor in the department. Well, then when the results came out for the Irish Research Council scholarship, I didn't get it. And I remember sitting there going, what do I do now? I've got no way of doing a funded PhD. And it all sort of stemmed down to when we looked at my score, I missed out on the scholarship by one point based on the reference that was given to me by that professor. So I remember we had seven weeks until our finals in the university um, for, for our final year of college. And then they announced that to be a second round for the Irish Research Council scholarships. This was, you know, a last chance for 10 more people to get a scholarship. And I guess there was the expectation that I would get that scholarship from everyone in the university, that when I didn't get it and others did, it was sort of like, you know, you're sort of like pointing the finger and laughing and, you know, oh, Dean didn't get it, but I got it. Yeah, got your back up. And I, remember, and I remember sitting there going, you know what? I am really going to make you all regret what you've done there. So I literally spent eight weeks before my finals of the college degree in the library for 12 to 13 days studying, making sure that I knew things inside out. So that when it came to the finals, when our results came out, I ended up coming top of the overall university to the point that I was like, you know, I'm going to make sure that when this second round of scholarships comes out, I'm going to pick another professor who may not give me, not what happened there was she gave me a balanced reference because she had someone else applying as well. So I made sure that I chose someone within the department to give me a reference that would give me, you know, a top level reference without trying to balance it because they they'd have no conflict of interest. And then sure enough, that, that second round, I got the research scholarship. So that's sort of see me then proceed into the uh, PhD under Dr. John Stevens, um, where I was introduced to developing a new class. So this new class of fluorescent molecules. So basically what my PhD then involved was designing new um, molecules within this class to then hopefully develop 
a series of molecules that you could use for fluorescent diagnostics. So for example, you know, you could inject this compound into someone's body. It would attach to say a malignant protein within a tumor and the tumor would glow and you'd be able to tell, you'd be able to tell diagnostically where that, that uh, fluorescent molecule has traveled to for diagnostics. That's why I spent the, the four years then doing, um, and it was between Minute and Galway, which is on the west coast of Ireland. Galway is supposed to be beautiful. Uh, it is. It's absolutely amazing. So this is sort of where the, the transition period came between kickboxing and bodybuilding because during the PhD, I ended up having to move to Galway to do some of the fluorescent um, research they had a special lab there with all different microscopes and spectrometers. But during that period, I'd been kickboxing um, during the PhD. That When I had to move to Galway, it sort of left me in a position where for six months I had no access to kickboxing. There was no local kickboxing club in Galway City. Um, there was one in Sligo, which was like you know a 50-minute drive, but at that time I didn't have a car. So it was the logistics of it didn't really work out. So... I ended up thinking to myself, what can I do here to keep myself motivated or keep myself involved? And obviously I'd been training in the gym as part of kickboxing. That I'd always had like an interest in bodybuilding. In that, you know, you'd, you'd read magazines and you'd um, look at videos online to the point that I thought, so I'm training in the gym for kickboxing. I diet quite hard and I pay attention to my nutrition because obviously I have to drop into weight classes within kickboxing. And was that Why not apply that? Self-taught? Say that again? That self-taught in terms of the nutrition aspects? Yeah, I mean, just from literally trial and error. Um, back then, like, you didn't really have, the internet wasn't as vast and I guess a learning hub as it is today. You know, what? I guess towards the end of my college degree, the internet in that, you know, all these resources online started to become really popular towards the, like 2009, 2010. Um, yeah, it was sort of like, you know, literally just understanding basic energy balance, but really paying attention to what I was doing. Like when we look back at how we cut weight, it was, there was no huge science to it in that how I'd approach it now today. I guess with, with that, I thought why not do a bodybuilding show? Why not spend six months training, dieting? It's literally just the reverse of kickboxing. You train, you try and maintain your muscle mass while getting rid of the body fat. It's fairly similar to dropping weight for kickboxing while trying to maintain performance. So that was 2011, and I entered the BMBF in the UK. And after that show, I thought, geez, that's, I, I don't know, there's something when you... When someone says to you when you compete for the first time that it can become addictive, they warn you before you go on stage, being on stage at a bodybuilding show, when you go off stage, you'll want to do another show. There's no like, oh, that was, you know, that wasn't fun at all. You get off the stage, like, well, what a rush between, you know, posing against people and, you know, doing your routine and the crowd cheering. That when I finally moved back to Dublin, I thought, when I aim for a show in 2012, at this point, I started to have doubts over my ankle with um, kickboxing. I won the world championships in 2010 before I moved to Galway. 
and I thought, okay, there, there are other ways that I can step up in bodybuilding, in kickboxing, but bodybuilding from a longevity perspective, you know, there's less chance of, um, I guess, injury, and that you're not going to get hurt from getting punched or kicked in the head or in the stomach or you know, bodybuilding is all under your control. You you control your safety when you're training. Um, so I figured, why not spend a whole year and see how I could get on in the next Irish National Championships? And that was 2012. And then from there, literally 2012, went to the European Championships for Ireland, the IFBB European Championships for bodybuilding in 2013. Competed 2014, 2015, all the way up until 2016 was my last year of competing competed with um, my wife so we'll see now for this year after being away for three years whether I get back on stage or not be exciting to see but I mean see. but I mean yeah, that's like you know that's sort of <laughs> where everything began and how I got involved with science indirectly to where we are today how, how did you transition from like conventional sciences into like health supplementation like what where did that knowledge come from because I don't imagine that was a standard thing you'd find to university no um, so obviously my degree was in pharmaceutical chemistry so we were looking at drug design we were looking at herbal science looking at toxicology then as part of my undergraduate degree I had a part-time job where I um, became trained as a pharmacist assistant as a dispenser you know reading prescriptions um, going through the different levels of healthcare assistant so you then actually get to see how these drugs are applied in practice. Because again, that was another sort of route. One of my best friends is a pharmacist. He was trying to edge me into going to do pharmacy after the, my degree. Because it seemed like the next logical step. I've learned how all these drugs, how to make all these drugs. Why not move into the field where you actually apply them? But again, after three years of being a pharmacist assistant and seeing how monotonous that job was, I was, <laughs> I was like... Regardless of the money that you earn, it's a boring job. Um, so that's sort of where I got pulled towards the PhD. Um, but obviously with that, then I got to, to see how you apply, I guess, pharmaceutical chemistry to health. And then from there, I guess when I moved into bodybuilding and then obviously having that background in pharmacology, then being able to apply um, manipulations of hormones to bodybuilding and obviously the health implications then that come with that manipulation of hormones how we may want to counteract that I guess I'm sort of coming from a conventional background so I obviously see that we develop drugs to treat problems or more so treat the symptoms but it doesn't really tackle the root cause of why someone might have an issue so for example you could have high cholesterol you get prescribed a statin the statin blocks your body from making cholesterol. It doesn't, but if it, doesn't, it doesn't address why your body's making excess cholesterol. Is it because you have a bad diet? Are you band-aiding a bad diet with a statin? Is it familial and genetic? And then more so, are there stuff that you can do more so lifestyle-wise or natural health supplementation-wise to address the problem rather than band-aiding the issue with a pharmaceutical compound? Respectfully, would you say that's very much the current rule of approach with um, like conventional GPs? Even like, for example, one of my clients did a Shred Nate program recently. He sent me an amazing message about how 
his blood sugars improved dramatically. His diabetes is like nearly completely gone. Everything's cleared up. His blood panel is amazing just because he's been on like, not just because, because he's been on a, a decent diet and how that's completely changed everything. And they're in like all... Yeah. And I was like, for me, it seems so obvious that that's going to have the biggest impact. Yeah, I mean, we, we do <laughs> tend to forget about lifestyle as a medicine, that a lot of the issues in terms of your diet, your environment pay into disease processes it's not only you know that you you do, you could develop a disease it could be self-induced from what you choose to put in your body both you know substance wise smoking etc or even diet that do, do you actually follow a healthy diet um, and you know you can see how that can progress into diabetes or progress into hyperlipidemia but again it's sort of like what alienated me and why after my PhD and didn't go into um, the pharmaceutical industry was that it, it appeared to me that people were approaching health from the perspective of how can I get rid of the symptom as opposed to how can I get rid of the disease? Because obviously if you can get rid of disease, then there's no need for half the pharmaceutical. There's no need for half the pharmaceutical companies on the planet. I mean, fi- fi- I, like, if anyone ever wants to watch it, it's on YouTube. I gave a presentation at Irish Muscle Power in 2018 where I compared like the top five diseases in the world between hyperlipidemia, so high cholesterol, depression, and um, blood sugar issues. And I was sort of showing, you know, this is what conventional medicine does, so how we treat the symptom. And this is more so, you know, the alternative aspect or functional medicine side of things where we go to the root cause of the problem. And I guess as the years have gone on, my curiosity more so towards functional medicine as it applies to bodybuilding became more and more apparent. It was like, you know, all these guys are taking high levels of androgens and it's, it, it's inducing health issues. Now, how can we tackle those health issues but going actually to the root cause as opposed to typical bro science of taking another drug to counteract the side effect of another drug? And I guess that's sort of where I've become very popular over the last few years and I started to speak up and educate. You know, what people are saying more so online and forums is not correct. You're basically applying the same logic of, for example, you could have high estrogen. The bro science through is take an aromatase inhibitor to stop estrogen production to the point where you have no estrogen, which again feeds into other health issues. Whereas the other side of it, from a functional side of applying functional medicine to bodybuilding would be, you have high estrogen. Why do you have high estrogen? Is it because you're metabolizing testosterone to estrogen through the aromatase enzyme? Is it because you have poor metabolism of estrogen? People forget this one all the time. Your body has to clear estrogen from the body. So just because you have high estrogen, it could be the fact that you're not clearing it fast enough from your body. So then you start looking at the liver. Is there a problem with the liver? Or is there a problem with the gut? And it's starting to take that you know, multifaceted approach to health when it pertains to bodybuilding of looking at the broader picture and figuring out how can I address that one issue as opposed to, you know, basically taking the easy way out and just getting rid of estrogen altogether. Would you say that, to put the answer in your mouth, but 
a huge amount of people probably overlook the importance in terms of their own progress with their internal health. Like if their liver kidney function, for example, is at a hundred percent, then they'll obviously be able to improve and progress faster. Yeah. I mean, even from where it sort of all started of, of me getting involved with the train by JP form as just a spectator, literally, my broader message all the time from day one was blood work. I've got such and such a problem. Go get blood work. And then you're sort of giving back the answer of, well, why do I want to do that? And it's like, well, you don't understand what's going on underneath. Um, so obviously blood work is the first step to understanding what's actually happening internally with our physiological processes. Is that something you'd recommend for anyone across the board? Definitely. Even, even naturals. Natural people should be getting blood work once a year to assess what's happening to their natural testosterone. If it's, say, for example, they are, they are a competitor. As much as I go on about, um, I guess, androgen steroid-induced hypogonadism, so obviously when you take steroids, it shuts down your HPTA, which makes your testosterone. Natural athletes are just as risk if they follow prolonged periods of dieting for natural bodybuilding shows that their pituitary output can become negatively affected and you have guys running into fertility issues who are naturals so it's imperative that they're watching their blood work just as importantly as say an enhanced athlete to make sure that their decisions to remain natural whereas for personal or for pride they should be still monitoring their health even though there's a perceived um i guess state of thought that they're not doing any damage to their body significantly um, and again, then for, for normal population, we want to make sure that we're watching the trends of, say, our lipids. Are our lipids getting progressively worse as we get older? Are we running into issues where the liver or the pancreas can't keep up with the demand to process, you know, junk food if that's the majority of your diet? And um, it, it sort of, it gets to a point where you could get into your mid-40s, have never done blood work throughout your body, throughout your life, basically. And then run, issue, run into an issue of disease, which could have been prevented if you had been getting blood work every year, you would have seen the trend. For example, you know, HbA1c, which is a marker of your glycated red blood cells. So it gives you an idea of your blood sugar for the last three months. If you see that as you're getting older every year, your HbA1c goes from 3 to 3.5 to 3.8 to 4.2 you start seeing it creep towards five which is you know just on the border of developing type 2 diabetes you can intervene you can say okay over the past five ten years my diet has not been very good it's been excessive in carbohydrates or lacking exercise to meet that energy demand and you can start to see then the patterns that blood work present even to normal population as opposed to even athletes in um in terms of obviously your knowledge and the future of supplements where everything's going, where do you source your information from? Uh, where do you see things going? Because obviously, you, like you obviously work with supplement needs, developing some amazing health supplements and other bits and pieces. What, where do you source the knowledge to develop these products, and where do you see the vision of where everything's going to go? I guess where where the knowledge came from was just, I guess, years of studying biochemistry and taking an objective view on, okay, for example, start with the brain or start with the heart. What, what disease processes happen at the brain or at the heart? What are the biochemical processes that happen there? 
And how do we support them to have good health within those physiological processes? So, for example, um, the sleep stack. Like, that literally stemmed from my own personal need for something to help me sleep as, a, as I was a, a competitor. Because you work crazy night shifts. It's one of those things where people say, I work a night shift, I yeah. can't because of blah, 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 blah. But you're the main man for probably mastering the fine art of the night shift. Yeah, I mean, I, I swap and change between days and nights and my sleep pattern does not change. Um, and obviously, the sleep stack over the years has been a vital component to that to ensure that, you know, I'm supporting my body um, on a chemical level to have good sleep and to offset the potential negative implications of shifting my circadian rhythm because we work a month of day shift and then a month of night shift. And then the month of night shift, when I'm on my days off, I revert to my daytime sleeping pattern. So for the month of night shift, I spend three or four days sleeping during the day. And then the other three or four days when I'm on my days off, sleeping at a normal time at night. And I can show people my aura ring data, it never shifts. It's always on top of a normal sleeping pattern between nights and days, differentiating between the two patterns. But the sleep stack, I remember, I think it was 2014, I was competing, uh, preparing for the Irish Nationals. And I remember back then before I met Morgan, my my now wife, most bodybuilding competitors will get to that point that like five or six weeks out where insomnia kicks in, whether it's supplement induced or it's just from low calories that your body just can't fall asleep or because of you have an overactive mind. Well, I remember like going to bed, say at 10 o'clock and then waking up at half three in the morning and going, right, I'm wide awake. Start my day at half three. And but obviously the long-term health implications of that maybe five and a half, six-hour sleep period as opposed to a period of sleep may not be potentially good long-term. Do you have a recommend start, sleep, sleep you'd recommend people shoot for? Not necessarily. And I don't like to give arbitrary numbers. And obviously people have probably read uh, how, how to Sleep, is it Matthew Walker's book, um, yeah. Why We Sleep. And in that, he does say that you're looking at, you know, seven and a half hours of sleep as opposed to sleep time. People tend to forget, you know, just because you're in bed seven and a half hours does not mean you've slept for seven and a half hours. But like it took looking at them, what's the biochemistry of sleep? What induces sleep? What processes are involved in sleep? What enzymes? What cofactors? And from there, I started to develop an understanding that, okay, to fall asleep, we need serotonin which is a neurotransmitter of our brain that calms us down gets our minds ready for sleep we need to have low neurotransmitters you have to have low dopamine so your brain isn't thinking of a million things before you go to sleep so we need to make sure that any dopamine that's in our brain is cleared out from there you're sort of then moving into your sleep phase into falling asleep so just because you fall asleep doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to stay asleep and that's where that um, important hormone melatonin comes in. So not only do you need to have adequate levels of serotonin, you need to have adequate levels of melatonin to stay asleep. When you look at the biochemistry, serotonin feeds melatonin in your body. So people tend to take melatonin as a supplement, thinking that they're doing their body good. But the half-life of a melatonin supplement is about three or four hours. 
So that's why you take melatonin, you'll have a great sleep for the first three hours of the night and then you might probably wake up because there isn't enough being supported from your own endogenous production. So the sleep stack idea came that will increase serotonin in your brain, will decrease dopamine to get you relaxed, will support your nervous system again to ensure there's a relaxed state of mind. And then once we have that high serotonin environment, we'll start pushing that serotonin to melatonin while you're sleeping to keep you asleep. And again, I was just looking at the cofactors of each step of what the enzymes involved require to, to stay supported. And that's where the sixth ingredient sleep stack came from. Um, so obviously that was, what, 2014. It took until just a conversation when I was on night shift with Lee, the owner of Supplement Needs, where I'd been buying some supplements from Lee and I seen that he had launched his health range of products. He just had a basic range of, you know, multivitamin, a B complex. But I was, I was impressed with what he'd chosen for the multivitamin to start. Like I had all the bioactive B vitamins, I had methylfolate instead of folic acid. And I thought this is a company or a guy who understands how important um, bioactive compounds are for supplements. So I was joking with him, he had, and we, we always laugh about this, he had like a sleep combo of 5-HTP with ZMA. And if people know ZMA is like the leading standard of all these years of, you know, if you have a sleep issue or you're a bodybuilding um, competitor, take ZMA for your sleep, which is basically zinc, zinc asparte and magnesium. Um, I think it's magnesium. No, it's magnesium asparte and zinc. Uh, I can't think of the form of zinc that's in it, but it's basically a really cheap form of zinc and magnesium that people don't actually realize um, it's not quite bioavailable to your body. And I just joked to him, I said, I've got this six-ingredient uh, sleep stack, just happened to call it that when we were talking, that I take personally for the last two years. I said to him, if you put that out as a product, I can guarantee you it's going to be popular. And, and I could sort of sense his skepticism to it. And I said to him, trust me, just get you know the six ingredients manufactured put it out as a trial for, you know, two or three months and see how it happens, see how it takes up. And I guess from there, it just exploded. People tried it and it's like, how does this work? Like this sort of like, you know, wizardry of, there's no sedative, there's no sedatives in it. Look who you're dealing you know, with. All, like, you know, all, all the other sleep products that have been on the market have been sedative based in that they basically just, tell your brain to switch off, but they don't actually cause you to fall into, I guess, um, patterns of sleep, you know, the phases of sleep between deep sleep, REM sleep, and non-REM sleep. Actually improving the quality of your sleep. Yeah, I mean, basically, uh, most sedative-based sleep aids basically tell the GABA receptors in your brain, shut off. Just because the, those um, receptors and it was switched off does not mean that your brain actually falls into sleep phases. So although you do black out, you may not actually be getting deep sleep and REM sleep rest. Whereas the sleep sack actually encouraged your brain to naturally relax and then naturally fall into your sleep patterns and then naturally keep you asleep. And then I guess obviously when we look at a supplementation perspective, and I guess for anyone that's a 
body bodybuilder listen it's well known that harsh androgens like trembolone can upset neurotransmitter balance so they can cause higher dopamine to be in your brain and you slow down that enzyme that clears dopamine from your brain that enzyme called comt catechol-o-methyltransferase it needs magnesium to work efficiently so that was sort of where the magnesium component to the sleep stack come in is that you're giving your body extra magnesium to support that enzyme to get rid of the dopamine out of your brain and help you fall asleep. And from there, like people were being cured of transomnia all over the UK with, with the sleep stack and adding a small amount of magnesium bisglycinate on top of it to give that extra magnesium they need. And again, it's sort of like people are confounded that how is this possible? But it's all going back to the biochemistry and seeing what happens down these pathways of biochemistry and how to address them. And I guess then taking that approach for sleep stack, when I seen how popular the sleep stack became, I said to Lee, okay, me and Lee started to become very close friends. Um, and I said to him, I've got another brilliant idea. Why don't we then start to target the whole body? Why don't we you know, create a company that develops products where people only have to go to one website to buy all their supplements rather than before going on Amazon and buying like 15 different tubs. Why not create, say, a heart stack or a liver stack or a kidney stack, blood pressure stack? Start thinking of the body in terms of processes and how we can help support that, whether it's even from a, a general population standpoint to enhance that needs. And that's sort of where then I started to look at, you know, what happens in these disease processes. So for example, with the CV stack, the heart stack, what do I want to address there? One, I want to make sure that your body's making adequate amounts of HDL, which is our quote unquote good cholesterol, transport cholesterol. And we want to then ensure that we have low levels of LDL, the potential for bad cholesterol, but more so prevent that LDL from getting oxidized, which can you know, further generate plaque formation in your arteries. So all these stacks stem from looking at what happens in the body and then basically working backwards from there. How can I support that with, um, I guess, natural or readily available nutritional supplements when put together in a specific ratio, I guess, would create um, a beneficial process for the body. And I mean, that, that's literally how over the last two years, how fast supplement needs has grown because for one thing, before I even join essentially, if I'm going to do this, one, the products need to be as cost efficient as possible. They need to be as readily available to the general population as they are to athletes. Two, we're never, ever going to use proprietary blends. So other companies use proprietary blends. In the past, proprietary blends were used as a, I guess, an intellectual property control. So if you had a supplement and you made a proprietary blend, you'd list like seven ingredients in this proprietary blend. So on your label, you'd have two grams proprietary blend and you'd list all the ingredients in it but you wouldn't tell people how much of each is in that proprietary you just load it with the cheap ones exactly normally on the label the very first ingredient that's listed by law is the one that's there in the highest amount 
And that drives me nuts because proprietary blends are there, in my opinion, solely to protect profits as opposed to protecting the company. It's also quite common as well, isn't it, that people will bring out a supplement range and then change the formula after three to six months to a cheaper version after headway with it. It is. It is, and I mean, that was more so why I said to Lee, no proprietary blends. Products have to be cost efficient and, you know, put the consumer and the health consumers first, profits come second. And he, he's completely of that same ethos of putting people first, which has, I guess, annoyed other companies because I have done a direct comparison of, say, a competitor of ours were able to offer products 300% cheaper. And it's sort of going, you know, if we can do that, why do you think that company is offering a very similar product for three times the price? And I, like that, that's sort of where now getting further and further into the supplement industry and my name getting more and more known that, you know, yes, it's going to pee off a lot of people, but it's for the benefit of consumers. I guess even like what, what enticed me into supplement needs was the fact of the multivitamin, like I said at the start, which we've, you know, tweaked over the last couple of years. But the initial phosphorylated B vitamins, the active B vitamins, and the methylfolate, when you look at other top companies that have, you know, sponsored athletes, for example, you know, Olympia-level competitors or top Instagram influencers or fashion models, there's a well-known brand and they have a multivitamin, which is a pack of several tablets. That's as much as I'm saying about this, the company's name. But I, I recently had a conversation with someone and he asked me, um, they were taking this product. And then I said, well, you'd be better off taking supplement needs multivitamin because it has all the active phosphorylated B vitamins. It has the bioavailable ingredients that your body requires. And then when he found out the price, so the, the multivitamin retails for about £11 for a two-month supply, he said to me, how come I'm paying £40 for a month of this other brand? I know, I know what the other one is talking about as well. I, I can pretty much guarantee the branding yeah. is. Yeah, so my answer to him was basically, effing idiots like you buy into that marketing and buy that brand without any consumer knowledge. And that's sort of where my sort of involvement with educating people as well on supplements comes from, to, to show people that you have companies who are scrupulous like this that will put out products at ridiculous margins that do F all for your body. And it's, it's because of the flashy branding or you see such and such an athlete is sponsored by this company. So if they use it, which I guarantee you they're probably not and they're using my products, <laughs> are pushing these products uh, and it's sort of duping people into, you know, thinking that that brand and, you know, is superior to another company just because of the price differential. Um, and I guess that's what, price, yeah, and I mean, that, that's exactly what, like, you tend to value things that are more expensive, you, you associate, you know, in your mind, I'm paying a premium for this product. But that's, that's how they manipulate and get away with it. And, and I guess that's sort of where people are starting to order um, I guess company owners are starting to get annoyed at me directly because of I'm not one for caring about profits neither is Lee like obviously a business you run a business to earn money 
but you don't do it at the expense of taking advantage of people. The thing is, long-term success of a business comes with building a brand and reliability and like trust, and people know yeah. 100% they can trust what you put out because of who you are and your core values. Yeah, exactly. And again, that, that, that is one of my core values is that like, I'm, I'm just in this for helping people. There, there's no financial benefit to me. I still wake up every day. I go to my normal day job. This to me is to ensure that I can put my knowledge that I know out there to make sure that people stay healthy. You think part of that came from when you wanted to be a doctor when you were younger? You still have the opportunity to help people? Uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, it comes even at the point that sometimes it can be potentially misled for being taken advantage of because I try and help so many people without looking for anything in return that it, there comes to a point now where you need to balance your time management of helping people without any cost to an extent while still maintaining that, you know, my time is valuable. Um, and I guess sort of that's where my, my consultation practice came into the thing of, you know, if you have a quick question, if I can answer you and put you in the right direction, um, great. If not, we'll, we'll have a little chat, we'll have a consult and we'll de delve deeper into your issue and I'll share my knowledge with you as, as an overall. I guess it's, um, it's again, how people value your time and your, your, your expertise. Um, and I mean, that, that's exactly how we've developed this relationship. Yeah. Most people like you came to me, an initial consult, and we tackled some issues head on, which I, I, I guess after a period, I think it was eight weeks went by, and then you actually messaged me and said, oh, I'd like to come on board and actually learn from you. And I've, I've learned so much from you on a... A daily basis almost like this week's lesson was don't eat frozen food that's been in the freezer for more than a few weeks. <laughs> after a, a bad bad car movement let's put it like that so it's a it's a constant learning curve a lot of things I'm awarely obvious that I'd probably tell myself but I often need to be told by someone else you need to maybe rein it in a bit or do xyz as you probably said like before we got on the call you work with Callum for example you, yeah. it's, it's easier to have someone to bounce ideas around with rather than yeah, like, driving yourself around the circle. I, I learned that very quickly because my first two years in competitive bodybuilding, I coached myself. And, and while that got me to, you know, international level bodybuilding, it was such a burden on my mental health in that, you know, constantly second-guessing myself. Did I do enough cardio this week? Was my energy balance right this week? Did I overeat? But you end do up I need to yourself out about it because you're yeah thinking analysing. Yeah, do I do, do do I need to refeed? Do I need to do this? And you're just constantly guessing in your mind, even when it came to peak and you know during the the fight, like quote unquote peak week, where you're starting to look at your physique objectively and go, "Am I too flat? Am I holding water? Do I need to carb up more?" That handing that off to someone that yes I can bounce ideas off and let them guide me it is amazing for me being able to focus on putting my priorities elsewhere then as opposed to making decisions all the time there's a difference when people approach coaching also now you either go to a coach to learn or you go to have your hand held for me with this small group that I do choose to coach most of it isn't about hand holding I know sometimes it can be a bit tricky when people ask me questions, you know, when I'm coaching them and I give them a hint and tell them, right, off you go and do your research and come back and tell me what you found. 
I could e- easily type back, you know, oh, the problem happened here. And, you know, for example, like, wh- why would you want to maybe keep meal one carb free? Or why, why would we want to look at carbohydrates intra-workout? I could easily type out, you know, a couple of sentences in a paragraph and tell you why. But I'd rather give you little hints. You go off and do your research and then you come back to me. And then it's sort of like, oh, that makes sense now. So, um, and then my job as a coach, the, the job as a coach then is being fulfilled and I'm educating you so that when you no longer need me, which, which should be the case for anyone that works with a coach, you should be able to, you know, it could be a year, it could be two years, but there should be a period of time where you then feel confident to go, I know all these lessons. I no longer need my hand held. I can apply these lessons to myself and, you know, no longer require <laughs> someone to, to guide you. I think the whole thing you talk about teaching people is the whole uh, analogy of um, you can give a man a fish and eat for a day, or you can teach a man a fish and, to fish and eat for a lifetime. Is, this is that sort of expression. Yeah. And it's the only way you learn and, and that's it. after a degree. Yeah, and I mean, even, even like when people <coughs> DM me on Instagram with questions, sometimes they, they ask me questions that the answer is plainly obvious within their question. And if you rephrase the question and bounce it back at them, they sort of look at what they've asked and then go, oh yeah, that answer is very obvious. Um, I mean... I had a consult recently about um, acne and, you know, you can go into all the physiological processes of what causes acne and the underlying potential hormonal issues, but you could go right back to the very start, step one, and address hygiene. First thing to say, are you washing enough? Uh, uh, Yeah, or, or, or are you washing too much? Or are you even, you're, so if you have acne on your face, how often are you changing your pillow, the pillow sheet. How often are you changing the mattress cover? Like these are little things that people tend to don't focus on the simple, basic solutions to start, and then working from there. And I guess we never really spoke about it at the start, but my, like my career job is as a chemical engineer, and I rely on simple solutions to complex problems to start. Did you um, go for the turn on, turn off technique with a lot of it? I was just about to get to that. We have, <laughs> we, we, so I work in plasma physics um, and, and plasma etches the process. So we create a plasma which then um, helps to etch detail into uh, the silicon wafer for computer chips. I work for Intel as a, computer, a chemical engineer. So part of that system is a microwave which provides high energy into the plasma to generate the plasma. So plasma basically is the fourth state of matter. You have solid, you have gas, you have liquid, and then you have plasma. Most people don't realize you have four states of matter. Plasma is a high-pressurized gas. So to generate plasma, you need high energy from a microwave. But that microwave, because it sends microwave power into the plasma, sometimes that microwave power comes back out of the plasma, back onto your generator. And part of that is you have a I guess, a tuning system which tunes out that reflected power. Sometimes that tuning process goes wonky and it's driven by three little mechanical stubs that move up and down to change their position to absorb the power that bounces back out. When that process goes funny, the most straightforward solution is turn off the auto tuner, turn it back on and let the system recalibrate with the tuning 
positions should be. Like the most basic solution to such a complex problem, you could then, you know, that was one of the parts to even when I was interviewing for Intel was he asked me such a complex problem. Basically, there was a, a stage in a machine that moves up and down. And he said to me, the stage isn't moving. And um, I said to him, okay. And he shows me all the schematics to the stage. And there's this power board and there's, you know, this uh, pneumatic gas line. And I, so a couple of things I said to him was, so like, first off, there's a computer screen. So can I see that the stage is down? He said, yeah, you can look actually in and there's a window and you can see where the stage is relative to its position. It's like, okay. So I said to him, you know, that's not a communications issue. So the computer's working fine with the machine. He's like, yep. Then I looked at the schematic and I was like, okay, it's, it's a stage. It moves up and down. The stage is driven by air that moves up and down. I said to him, you've always got a leak somewhere that's bleeding out so the stage can't move. And he said to me, exactly. This is the top area manager for my department to interview me. And, and he said to me, you know what, Dean? He said, I get top level PhDs coming into me and trying to understand mechanics and, you know, machine mechanics and going down this route of, oh, there could be a, a, an electrical issue with this communications board. We're actually like taking a step back and actually looking at the problem and going, what's the simplest solution to start? Why, why isn't that stage moving? And it's because there's air bleeding now. Fix the air bleed, stage starts moving again. You can apply that same logic, like I've said through this whole podcast, it helped. What's the root cause? What's the simplest thing that I can do to start to address that health issue and then work from there? I guess, I guess having that engineering background over the last six years has made a big difference in how I apply my logic to problems within health supplementation and bodybuilding. Coming back to um, bodybuilding, what would you say is the main reason with people you see or people you've worked with who they're not, they don't progress? Um, two so- things they over or underestimate their energy balance. So they're either not eating enough or not, uh, they're eating too much. So again, when we look at it from the perspective of either putting on muscle mass or losing body fat, that's one of the simplest mistakes. People tend to... Be too aggressive. Um, way. Yeah. Pay attention exactly what you're doing. You know, you could ask someone are you eating enough? And they say, oh yeah. And then you go, well, what are you eating? And then they list it out and it's like 2,000 calories. And it's like, okay, that's like, maybe a lot of food for you. Yeah, someone says to me, that they're eating 5,000 calories there. I'm like, okay, so what are you eating is actually like two and a half. I'm like, it's... Yeah, I, I mean, people's perception, when you actually, you know, when you get someone starting with you and you develop their diet and you send over the calories and they look and you go, that's a lot of food. It's like, no, that's what three and a half thousand calories of food is. Wait until you're at five and a half thousand, six thousand, and then come back to me when you're eating, you know, eight or nine hundred grams of carbs every day. Yeah, and that tends to be, you know, the, I guess the, probably the biggest mistake that people make is that they wonder over estimate. Then from there, you know, you can start looking at training. Are they are they training properly? Again, that all comes down to people's perceived efforts with training, like. The, the biggest, uh, I guess, mistake or lesson you can learn is go and train with someone who you perceive trains hard to see, are you actually training hard? Are you actually taking sets to full failure? Or are you willing to go to that space mentally if you train by yourself? And I guess that's why people, you know, 
have in-person PTs to ensure that you are progressing your physique, that you are being pushed to places where mentally you may not go by yourself. There's a whole new level, I think, when you go and train with someone. I remember, I think it's really about three years ago, first time I trained with James Hollingshead, I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, it was just an eye yeah. experience. I was like, yeah. Jesus. Like, I mean, like, I did the same thing, like, when I was 20, when I was sort of delving into bodybuilding a little bit, I got to do a leg session with Mr. Ireland back then, like, he was Mr. Ireland. And I thought, like, halfway through, I'm not even going to last at the end of the session. And to me, I thought I trained hard personally. And this guy here was just on this other level, making me do, like, there was one point where we were doing leg press, and I thought, this is going to crush me because my legs were at the point of jelly. But then I took that lesson away that, you know, to get to this guy's level, this is where you need to be able to, willing to go mentally. But yeah, that, that's probably one of the, the biggest mistakes you see is that people under or overestimate. And then everything after that is sort of then the minutia of making sure health is good, um, digestive health is monitored. You know, it, it, it all stems back probably to, like I said, the basic solutions to start and then delve further into um, either underlying issues that need to be resolved that may be potentially, say they could have insulin resistance issues. You know, we, we, we tend to start from the base with the diet first and then start to look at the issues afterwards that could be causing issues. 100%. In terms of, obviously you talked about supplementation uh, briefly, what would you think of the main, like from a health supplement point of view or even um, like intra-workout supplement, the places people are maybe missing out on utilising, which are probably easily available? A good quality multivitamin. Like the whole thing started with Lee's um, supplement. Mm. Um, and I know you have that YouTube video when we spoke last year with like, what were my top five supplements if you're on a budget? And like number one was the multivitamin, purely for the sole fact that within a multivitamin, you should be getting adequate amounts to support metabolic functions like your, your B vitamins, um, supporting your immune system with vitamin A, um, methylfolate, which feeds into methylation. And you can have a whole podcast about methylation, how methylation, which is the process, how your genes of your body get turned on and off, how, how that becomes affected by having inadequate <laughs> levels of folate. So a, a, a well-rounded multivitamin should address the basics of your health, you know, have small amounts of antioxidants like CoQ10, which may, you know, you're basically with the supplements, you're trying to supplement to your diet. They're, they're not magic fixes. Like people shouldn't be viewing supplements as if I take this, it's an insurance policy that it's protecting me. It should be a supplement to an overall, um, I guess, way of viewing your health on a global manner. Then after that, I guess, a fish oil. So again, we know the cardioprotective benefits of EPA and DHA. Um, again, DHA, which is one of the omega-3 fatty acids, has a lot of research involved with cognitive benefit. So for lowering Alzheimer's risk, improving cognitive function. Again, there are arguments around omega-3 supplements and whether they lower inflammation or not. But when we look at inflammation as a global health issue, it would be wise with how the Western diet is set up more towards omega-6 fatty acids that we balance that ratio with omega-3. And a lot of people, again, probably don't eat enough oily fish per week or cold water fish. So 
tuna, um, well, not so much tuna, but sardines, salmon, mackerel, all these oily fish that have high levels of EPA and DHA naturally. Maybe missing in a diet, so the supplement may come in handy there. Again, to <coughs> supplement their diet. Um, then after that, you're sort of getting into probably the more technical parts of, um, again, what I said in the video was liposomal glutathione. We, we tend to underestimate, again, the environment. Air pollution, um, I guess, toxins within the, the home, outgassing from plastics, etc. They all require glutathione as the, the master antioxidant of your body to conjugate to those toxic metabolites for excretion in the liver. If I had to choose three health products to use, it would be the multivitamin, moving into fish oil, ribosomal glutathione, and then anything after that, you're sort of then going specifically after what your blood work is telling you. And that, that, again, is a very popular question to me on Instagram. What health supplement should I be taking? And the answer is always it first depends. Off, yeah, the first off, the first answer is always it depends. And then the second question after that is get your blood work done. Even enhanced athletes, enhanced athletes, regular question is what supplements do I need to take to protect my health? And, it, and again, it's sort of like, Stop viewing supplements as this insurance policy that if I take, you know, heart stack, liver stack, kidney stack, that nothing's going to happen. That, you know, I'm taking these products, so therefore no health issue should arise. Well, first off, you need to look at your blood work and see what actually gets skewed. And then from there, figure out what supplements match your health profile best. Rather than, you know, you could spend all the money that you earn each month on this supplement, that supplement, where you might not need half of it. And again, if, if I was a scrupulous business person, I could tell, you know, anyone that messaged me on Instagram, buy, like, these 10 products from Supplement Needs. Absolutely. Off you go. Perfect for you. But I can't, I, I, like, I, I really just don't have the morality there to tell someone, here's a long list of supplements, go buy it. Because to me, I'd rather you spend your money than on good quality food if that's the underlying issue. Food always comes first. Yeah, like I don't, I don't want to give a long list of supplements where you feel pressured each month. That again gets into the psychology of if I don't take this health supplement, something bad is going to happen to me. And you fall into it maybe an addictive thought process that you know I have to take this health supplement to stay healthy, whereas your blood work might not even show that you need it. It's just waste of money in the first place. Yeah. So. Um, we'll start to wrap things up there, Dings. We've gone on for a little while. I don't want to keep you too long. So you're an incredibly busy guy. Uh, one or two last questions. What's the future plans with you and supplement needs? Because I know you've been up to some exciting things. And what's the future for Dr. Dean? What are you taking over next? God, what's going next? I, I, I'm involved in so many things that sometimes... I saw the, think... PM, the, the PM priming stack or something, a new product you brought out. Yeah, so... I wanted to start to delve into, um, obviously, stress, both in the morning time and at night time is such a big issue. So I developed an, a morning time AM adaptogen stack that would help you cope with the stress that's coming to you when you wake up before you go to work. And then the PM priming stack is developed then to help calm your mind and lower cortisol that might have built up during the day. The other sort of products 
that we've released within the last two months was the greens powder. Again, that was another big step forward in the industry in that it's not a proprietary blend. I've done a comparison of my greens formula to a top leading brand's green formula, which that top leading brand, I was a huge fan of purely for the taste. When you look at the panel on the back of their 11 gram serving, nine grams of it is flavoring. So you're only getting two grams. I know exactly. And that it tastes amazing, but you then start to see how well you're being duped when only two grams of the 11 grams is actually active ingredient. And what even then further insults is that that two grams is a proprietary blend. So you don't even know exactly how much of each thing you're getting. The greens formula, I said from the very start, everything's going to be exactly dosed and disclosed to the point that you're getting, I think it's 9.7 grams out of 11 grams active ingredients in the greens powder. Then add the chewable omega-3 fish oils, which again, very high EPA and DHA. But more so, why I wanted to bring that to the market was it has DPA, which is docapentanoic acid, which people probably aren't aware of is a vital component to the omega-3 fatty acids. It's the most unknown of the three. Reason being is a lot of companies actually destroy DPA when they're extracting the fish oil. So after heating it. So through, yeah, through the extraction process, the distillation process destroys the um, DPA content. But DPA has so much research involved in, again, cardiovascular disease risk and lowering Alzheimer's risk that this company have fought hard to get the products to the market over a year for the pure fact that when I do my own blood work, when I was utilizing that fish oil, my inflammation markers were all low my omega-3 percentage in my blood was high, which I didn't see when I compared it to another top-leading brand's omega-3 fish oil. So I guess what's come with Sublet Needs is I have a few more products in mind, um, specifically um, a glucose disposal stack to help, again, address the concerns of people who may be developing diabetes. And there's an immune stack, which I feel will be perfect in this current climate towards what we have potentially developing globally with coronavirus or even, you know, seasonal flus could be stemming from the fact that you could have, you know, deficiency in vitamin A or vitamin D or, you know, the, the antimicrobials or antivirals that are available to us naturally that most people aren't aware of when they do get a cold or flu. I guess then for myself personally, I, I, I don't tend to really have, you know, a five-year plan or a plan things out in advance. Uh, I've never really operated. I've never really operated that way and set myself <laughs> goals. Because um, uh, every time I set out a plan, like what I've done at the start of this year, I tend to then get involved in another project that sort of moves that goal around. So there's always been the book that every time I try and go back to write, I get pulled off in another direction to something else. So I am hoping that by the end of this year that I do get back to writing what I believe is going to be an all-encompassing, um, I guess, health strategy. Health body. towards Yeah, towards like bodybuilding primarily because obviously that's sort of the niche that I'm in. But the lessons within can still be applied to 
enha- uh, normal population as opposed to just enhanced athletes. Um, and actually, you know, coach people or teach people what exactly is happening on a, on a health scale. You know, discuss the biochemistry, but keep it very simple so that people can actually understand and why, you know, you take such and such a supplement to address a problem. Um, yeah, and I feel like that would be great because then that removes a lot of what I actually currently do day-to-day, even with Instagram answering questions. It would be literally be a Bible covering all these things of what I've discussed over the years in, a, in, a, you know, in either an e-book or a physical book that you can read through to figure out such and such a problem. And then the next big project that I was involved with this week is getting the supplement needs education website started. So we're going to launch an education website first and foremost to educate people on the products, to actually have interactive resources to coach you on why the CV stack works, what are the ingredients, you know, how does the sleep stack work. Provide people with, you know, educational content to help them understand how these products are best applied. And then from there, we have then the potential for a membership part of the education website where I'm actually building a, a team of experts, you could say, surrounding training, nutrition, rehab, health and supplementation as, a again, a learning hub where there's going to be education content, both visually with videos, but also um, quite an in-depth and interactive forum where, again, you, you get full access to all of these experts to discuss any issues that you have. So, again, it's all about helping to spread education and potentially upskill people to address their own health as opposed to, again, hand-holding people. Sharing knowledge, essentially. Yeah, exactly. So that's sort of why I've sort of planned for this, this next 12 months of... I guess, uh, epic madness that, that does, does be my own life. And again, the, the weekly consultations that I, I do um, to keep things interesting continue to help people in, in all manners of whether it's bodybuilding or health. Um, but yeah, like I said, I don't, I don't tend to, in the past, I probably would have thought, like, let's plan out, you know, my next five years. But things changed so rapidly as we got in at the start between medicine and then change my mind to do music and then change my mind to do you know chemistry and now into now into bodybuilding like people i always laugh at that people always message me like when i put up videos of me playing my bass guitar they're like is there anything that you're not involved in and it's sort of like that's from like you know i'm now 32 so this has been like nearly half my life so far of different things i've gotten interested in and went down so i don't tend to uh set big plans in place. I mean, if you had said to me, I'm, I'm now with Morgan almost four and a half years. If you had said to me when I was 26, like, this is what's going to happen next year when you turn 27. Like, this is the direction your life's going to go down. I, I would have laughed. Like, I mean, in the last two years, I've, we've bought our second house. We've gotten married. We've had baby Callum. Like the, all these things, I never really set out and planned and said, this is what I'm going to do. It's sort of just naturally mm-hmm. gone with, with a progression. And I guess, again, if, if you do set goals like that, you can then fall into the trap of if you don't achieve what you set out to do, you may get discouraged a little bit that, you know, oh, I, I wanted to do this goal, but I never done it. But 
again, that's about looking objectively then what did you achieve outside of those set target goals? Because maybe something else became more important that pulled you away. I mean, even, even personally, bodybuilding, I've not competed now in three years. And obviously, that's always been one of my goals of when I first competed was uh, to be Mr. Ireland, to win the National Bodybuilding Championship. For the past three years between supplement needs, educating my own family life, that sort of bodybuilding took a back seat as, you know, I didn't have a drive there to fulfill that goal of competing because there was other things that took priority. For now. So, yeah. Yeah. Till now. So uh, hopefully this year I, I can get back on stage after three years and finally tick off that goal that I've, I've set myself. I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. No doubt about that, knowing your mindset with things like that. Fingers crossed. So uh, thank you so much for that, Dean. We'll start to wrap that up there. So for anyone who doesn't know anything about you, where to find some information about you, Dean, what's your Instagram? It's DeanSTM, D-E-A-N-S-T-M. And then my YouTube is the same. But again, I, I haven't posted much material in the last year on YouTube, <coughs> just, the, just the time issues. But Instagram is probably the best place that you, you can find me. And then I'll announce in due time the link for the education website for supplement needs i'll yeah. pop the link for supplement needs uh, below the podcast as well so you guys go check out and the health pieces we've discussed uh i hope everyone thoroughly enjoyed this if you did please leave a five-star review and as always we're picking one person a week to win a free place for the shred mate or sculptinate program so absolute pleasure thank you so much dean and i hope you'll speak to you soon thanks very much charity <laughs>